This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Tuesday, April 14th, 2020 edition of Invest Talk. And I thank you all for tuning in today. And we remain in the middle of this uh, COVID 19 pandemic. And. Obviously, there's a lot to uh, to discuss uh, from specifics on industries and specifics uh, on companies as well as economies. Uh, however, I want to start with um, something that I've actually never done before. But my, my my grandfather, I don't know how many of you know this, but my grandfather actually is the one that started Invest Talk way back in the '90s. And he used to start the show with reading the first 15, 20 minutes. And I used to hate this. I'll tell you this. I used to hate this. He used to start the show reading from a book. First 20 minutes. Some book he was reading and he would find a couple pages and he would read out of it. And I used to think that was A, too long of a time period. But it wouldn't really teach too much because without any explanation, without context, it can, it can kind of fall on deaf ears. I know a lot of people that listened to back then would only listen to the back half of the show because they didn't want to listen to the first 20 minutes. But I think in this time, it is important to really uh, understand kind of the bigger picture because uh, we're going to get, we get caught up in the rallies and, you know, what sector did this? What did the fed do? What did government do? Uh, and, you can lose sight of, of the big picture. So I want to turn to, I'm actually rereading a book. I, I've, it's been, been a while since I read it. It was actually written in the 1990s, 97 actually. It's called The Fourth Turning. Uh, and it, it talks about history in not just a linear time frame, but in a cyclical time frame. Basically saying that there are four periods uh, to each turning, I guess, and they last about the length of a human life, uh, about 80 to 90 years uh, in total. So each one's about 20 years long. Uh, and basically in the 90s, he kind of, uh, this is written by Neil Howe, uh, and I believe another author, I can't remember the name. And they speak to how we're entering the fourth turning, uh, which they prognosticated it would start around 2005. And you know, we had the financial crisis. Basically, if you think about it, we had the top in the housing market in 2005 and uh, started sliding into the great uh, the, the, the crisis, right? The great financial crisis. Uh, and in a lot of ways, I don't think we've ever recovered completely from it. If you think about, um, you know, medium wages, etc. And what he speaks to is that the last first turning or that's, that's fourth turning was really around World War II. Right, and it's a rethinking of how we how how the world works, um, and so 
institutions are strong in the first turning. The second turning, which for us was the 60s and 70s, that's when you had the Cultural Revolution, right? When our current baby boomers were, uh, you know, in, in high school and college and protesting Vietnam War. Uh, and then you have the third turning, which is uh, unraveling, and that's where it's more about individualism. I think entrepreneurship, right, that has grown over the past uh, 30 years and really rose in uh, the, the 90s with uh, technology. Uh, and then you, and, and, and the fact that around that time is when the trust in the uh, in Congress kind of disintegrated, right? And then you get into the, the fourth turning, and that's when you really have kind of an upheaval, uh, when value values really change. Uh, and what I want to read is uh, kind of after that explanation, and it really hits on kind of, I think, where we're at today. Now, what he says is, uh, during each of these periods, Americans felt well-rooted in their personal values, but newly hostile towards the corruption of civic life. Unifying institutions, which had seemed secure for decades, now felt ephemeral. Those who had once trusted the nation with their lives were growing old and dying. To the new crop of young adults and nation, the nation hardly mattered. The whole rest Republica seemed on the verge of disintegrating. During each of these previous third turnings, so he's speaking of the third turning, turning time, America felt as if they were drifting towards a cataclysm. As it turns out, they were. The 1760s were followed by the Revolutionary War. So that was the fourth turning then, crisis era. The 1850s by the Civil War. That was the crisis era then. And the 1920s by the Great Depression and World War II. All these unraveling eras were followed by bone-jarring crises so monumental that by their end, American society emerged in a wholly new form. Each time, the change came with scant warning. As late as December 17. Uh, as late as December 1773, November 1859, and October 1929, the American people had no idea how close it was. Then sudden sparks, the Boston Tea Party, John Brown's raid and execution, and Black Tuesday transformed the, the, the public mood swiftly and permanently. Over the next two decades or so, society convulsed. Emergencies required massive sacrifice from a citizenry that responded by putting community ahead of self. Leaders led and people trusted them. As a new social contract was created, people overcame challenges, once thought insurmountable, and used the crisis to elevate themselves and their nation to a higher plane of civilization. In the, 19, in the 1790s, they triumphantly created the modern world's first democratic republic. In the late 1860s, wounded by, but reunited, they forged a genuine nation extended, sending new guarantees of liberty and equality. In the late 1940s, they constructed the most Promethean superpower ever seen. The fourth turning is history's great discontinuity. It ends one epoch and begins another. History is seasonal and winter is coming. Like nature's winter, a secular winter can come early or often. A fourth turning can be long and difficult, brief but severe, or perhaps mild. But like winter, it cannot be averted. It must come in its turn. So basically what that's saying is that this is the fourth turning. We are in the midst of that. And while things seem rough right now, we're all sitting at home and, you know, a lot of people are losing their jobs and, you know, businesses are likely to go under uh, and, and things look pretty bleak. This is the beginning of a new era. 
and a new era that I think uh, we can all be optimistic about. So if you, I, I really wanted to touch on that because I really think it's important for everybody to really have a grasp of where we're at today and what matters and to find that hope on the other end. Now it's going to be difficult, it's going to be hard, but there is life on the other side. And I think it's very important for us to understand where we are today, but hopefully where we'll soon be in the relatively near future. They're saying by 2025, and this is, remember, this is written in 97. So the end of the fourth turning should be just a handful of years away. Uh, but in the meantime, got to protect. You got to understand what is important in today's market, and that is solid balance sheets and non-cyclical businesses. Let's go to Jake. Oh, actually, we're going to take... Oh, we're going to take a break. All right. Well, after the break, we're going to get to Jake in Manhattan. But you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And during these times when social distancing guidelines require most of us to work at home and stay at home, you might have some additional discretionary time because you aren't commuting. And in this case, I encourage you to explore the financial and investment information we have posted on our website, uh, investtalk.com. You can click on our investment programs. We have Active401k and all our different uh, opportunities there. And if you're serious about achieving financial freedom, you have to be prepared for market volatility. And we're here to help in any way possible. So send us a note. Give us a call the best way. Give us a call. Answer those questions on air. And now I'm taking your questions live at 888-99-CHART. The COVID-19 pandemic has forced millions of people to stay home, which is getting in the way of everyone's normal exercise routine. Gyms are closed. People are stuck inside. And tightness and stiffness are afflicting us all. This is the perfect time to focus on your personal health and wellness. And I know you have heard me say this before, but recently I discovered this great product to reduce my pain and stiffness caused by sitting too long at my desk doing research and talking to clients. It has 13 all-natural ingredients and is sold in hundreds of doctor's offices, pharmacies, and gyms, and spas throughout the country. This muscle rub made by Quanta, a publicly traded applied science company, has patented technology proven to supercharge key ingredients and make them perform five times more effectively within the human body. It is optimized to drastically reduce both pain and inflammation naturally. I know this sounds too good to be true, but they have the white papers to prove it. I use their various health and wellness products every day and find a host of different benefits. Additionally, for a limited time, listeners of our program can receive promotional discount pricing at buyquanta.com. Use the promo code INVEST to save 20% on your first order. In fact, Quanta is so highly confident you'll be pleased with their products. That's why they offer a money-back guarantee if you aren't satisfied with the results. Again, simply use the code INVEST to save 20% at buyquanta.com. B-U-Y-Q-U-A-N-T-A.com. You are listening to Invest Talk. The COVID-19 pandemic has turned everything upside down. But are we now seeing some light at the end of the tunnel? You've got finance and investment questions. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein have answers. Call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Jake in Manhattan. He wants to talk about GDX, the gold miners. Hey there. I really love the show. Um, just on the exposure to uh, miners with a higher beta to gold and with the predictions that gold mm-hmm. will surpass $2,000, uh, 
value mark. I'm just wondering mm-hmm. where you see GDX going and also just moved around the simple moving average. Um, just want to get your thoughts on where you think GDX is going in the uh, next few weeks here with stimulus and everything else. Well, I, I think in the near term, uh, actually, we we trimmed our gold uh, miner positions uh, today slightly, not not anything dramatic, just uh, getting them back in line. You know, when, when miners go up, I mean, some of our positions are up 80, 90 percent. Uh, and when that happens and, you know, the market is down, uh, like it's been over the past few, uh, few months, uh, these positions grow a little bit uh, bigger than... Uh, than we wanted to, and now it's free to it's free to trade at TD Ameritrade, which is who we use to to uh, to trade with, and so we we trimmed our positions a little bit because we did think it was overbought uh, early in the day, and actually but pulled back a few percent, and actually I believe GDX yeah closed down three cents. So uh, we we do think it is a little overbought in the near term. So in the next three weeks, it would not be surprised to see it uh, trade slightly lower. Uh, however, you know I think you're kind of being cute. In a, in a lot of ways, um, if you're trying to time the the uh, that entry point, um, but I do think two years from now, I think GDX is double from here. You know, it's about thirty dollars uh, today. I think it could easily get back to the highs of 2011-12, which was sixty bucks. Uh, and I think gold is going to go higher than the highs of of 2011. So maybe even more. So you know, I'm I'm a big fan of of the miners, but understand that these are very volatile n- names. They they can whipsaw 10, 15 percent to the downside rather quickly, just as well as they can go up uh, 20, 30 percent rather quickly as well. Make sense, Jake? Sounds good. Thanks. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Jim in Orange County, a, a local, since I'm in Orange County as well, looking at MGM. Uh, are you looking to buy it? Do you own it? I, I'm, uh, thanks for taking my call, Justin. I'm looking to buy. I, I've been talking them here for a couple weeks since the downturn, and uh, I liked them a lot when they were at around $9 a share. They've, they've taken a slight uptick since then, but still not close to that uh, two-year or five-year average. They've had around $30. And curious what your thoughts were on that sector and um, when you thought a good entry point would be. Well, I absolutely hate the sector. I think that the casino business is probably the one that's going to be hurt the most in this environment. You have not only do you have uh, people not willing to travel very much, so uh, and then going to a city like Las Vegas, which is notoriously dirty, you're in a casino, passing around chips and money, and uh, you know close to other people, and sitting at tables where some. It's it's an air. It's a place that is going to be avoided by the vast majority of people for a very extended period of time. So I absolutely hate this sector. Absolutely hate it. I cannot think of a worse sector because you don't need to gamble. At least airlines, like you need to travel to visit family, maybe for work, for you know, for business. Yeah, there there are reasons why people need to fly. There's no absolute reason why anyone needs to go sit in a casino and gamble. Now, uh, the potential for online gaming uh, and legalization, I think that's going to benefit the industry as a whole, and I'm sure that will grow. Um, and MGM, I believe, has a partnership with the NBA. Uh, so I think the bigger names might be able to muddle through. Um, but they do have a lot of debt. Uh, but I just I wouldn't touch the space because too much of their business relies on people getting in close quarters, 
not in you know it's not it's it's in a room it's not even open air uh passing around chips and money and being in that that could have the virus hate it hate it hate it hate it hate it hate it thanks for the call jim now the next invest talk with stress in the housing market, J.P. Morgan Chase says it will strengthen mortgage borrowing standards because the economic outlook has darkened that story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, where Invest Talk hosts and KPP principals Steve Peasley and Justin Klein practice parallel investing. That means Steve and Justin's accounts participate with Klein Investments at equal prices and percentages. You can learn more about parallel investing at investtalk.com. Hey, Steve and Justin. Tim from Madison, Wisconsin again. Absolutely love your show and all your unbiased guidance. I had a couple questions for you. So number one, so I plan on investing my stimulus check in my Roth IRA and wanted to get your thoughts on how I should dollar cost average it into the market. As in, would you suggest I break it down into two, four, or even six parts and invest it weekly, every other week, or even every month? I guess I'm just trying to figure out how you would suggest I go about getting that into the market. My second question is about Robert Half International, RHI. My thoughts here are pretty simple. With unemployment rates skyrocketing, there are obviously a lot of people looking for jobs right now. And once the corona pandemic passes and all these businesses start opening up again, there are going to be a lot of job openings in Steps, a staffing agency. I might be missing something or a little bit early on this, but wanted to get your guys' opinion on that idea and the business in general. Thanks, and stay safe out there, guys. All right. Look, I'll start with the second question first. Robert Half International, and you're actually thinking of it the opposite way. So, uh, Robert Half is a temporary staffing agency, and typically these type of companies are very good coming out of a recession because companies are hiring more, but they typically will be slow to hire on permanent staff. Right? They'll bring on somebody temporary that they don't have to commit to, they don't have to pay benefits to, right? And if they like that person, they'll hire them full-time. If not, they just let them go. Maybe they figure out they don't need them, right? They're a little more reticent to hire full-time workers and they'll start to to add temporary workers. Now, in this environment, the exact opposite is happening. They don't, if anything, they're uh, they're going to hire back workers they know they, that were recently with them, right? And they're going to hire those people back full-time or maybe only part-time, but at least they know them, they understand them, uh, and and they're not going to even touch temporary workers they don't even understand. Typically, temporary workers are... are it, it happens when it's hard to find you know great people, right? Um, and that makes it even better, even late in the cycle as well. Um, but this is a company that actually hit a high in 2018 and has been in a downtrend ever since. So uh, I, I don't like this name at all. I would definitely pass. Uh, they don't have much debt, which is good, but I think their business is uh, likely to continue to slow. And you need to, this is probably a good name coming out of this recession, not going into it. Let's go to John in Santa Cruz looking at Philip Morris. Hi. 
Um, How's Justin, it going? Can I ask you about a couple things? Sure, go for it. Okay, well, the first is Philip Morris, but um, after okay. that, I'd like to ask you about if you're going to buy shares of Franco Nevada and you didn't own any, what would you try to pick it up at? Because I just keep missing it. Um, okay, <laughs> you keep missing it. Yeah, it's a. Anyway. It's, Sure. Um, I'll start with Philip Morris. Uh, Philip Morris is one of the largest tobacco producers in the world. I, I always look at Philip Morris and Altria as kind of sister companies, right? Their, their business is, is very similar. Uh, they've invested in alternative tobacco a little bit differently, but the core of their business is the same, except for Philip Morris is international and Altria is domestic. Altria is uh, shrinking over time because cigarette use in the United States has, has been shrinking. Uh, and whereas Philip Morris tends to be a better grower over time, but it's exposed as it very high exposure to foreign currencies. So when the dollar gets strong, Philip Morris earnings gets hit pretty dramatically. So you really have to, if you're picking between the two, you really have to also think about where the dollar is going. Now, I think the dollar is going to weaken because of the, the money printing and the Fed can't have the dollar strengthen too much. That creates more of a drag on the economy that you're already seeing. So they need the dollar to be weak and create inflation. So, uh, and, and the dollar has been strong recently, and I actually think it's going to get uh, a, a weaker. It's it's already started to roll. So I like Philip Morris. We own it for some managed accounts. So uh, I, I like Philip Morris. Now, Franco Nevada, we also own for managed accounts. And we've owned this for a long, long time. Uh, I think this is one of the ones we're up about 80 plus percent for a lot of accounts. But uh, it's now hit a 52-week high today, around 100 and... What was the high today? Uh, yeah, one... 126, 127. I think we cut it back around 126 today. Um, but I think it will probably pull back. If uh, I'm come up coming up with a number, it'd be about 115. That's the area that I would be strongly adding to uh, Franco Nevada, and it is absolutely, I think, best in breed, best in breed, best miner yep. out there. It's a streamer, so it's not a purebred miner, but it also means it's a little safer and long-term it actually has uh, better profitability. So uh, I'm a big fan of fan of it, and that's the uh, number that I would pick it up at, 115. Thanks for the call, John. We're going to get to John in Minnesota after the break, but you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. Let me remind you that the Invest Talk radio program and its podcast replays provide a daily dose of market news with our unbiased commentary. So tell your friends and family members about it as well. Hopefully they can get something out of it. We're heading into the break, and I'm taking your questions now. So get your call in at 888 chart At the start of each new day, we are presented with opportunities. The chance to learn better ways of doing things. The prospect for establishing stronger business connections. But as you go about your daily routine, there's one task, one challenge you should not put off. The need to plan for and work toward achieving financial freedom. That point in the future when your money, your assets are working for you while you work only if you want to. Getting from here to there to your idea of financial freedom is possible. However, serious investors eventually recognize that unless they can afford to devote the time and efforts required to thoroughly understand market dynamics, 
To properly balance, optimize, and maintain their portfolios, expert guidance will be essential. The moment that spark of reality hits, you will want to consult with Steve Peasley and Justin Klein of KPP Financial in Irvine, California. KPP Financial Consultations are unbiased, offered without cost or obligation, and designed to help guide individuals toward their ultimate financial objectives. The next highly beneficial step for your investing future can start when you reach out to Steve or Justin via Skype, a phone call, or a quick message through investtalk.com. You are listening to Invest Talk. The health of your financial future may depend on the decisions you start making now in 2020. Justin Klein is here, ready to provide his unbiased investment guidance, and the phone lines are open. 888 99Chart. Let's go to John in Minnesota. He's looking at Lockheed Martin. Hey, Justin. You looking to buy it? Uh, I've, I, I'm uh, new into investing, and I've already got a small position, uh, but I like their numbers, mm-hmm. and I see they just picked up uh, a bunch of new contracts over the next few years, so I guess I just wanted to get your mm-hmm. thoughts. Well, I'm not a big fan of the defense contractors at this time. Uh, you know, the, the earnings tailwind of Trump being president is largely uh, behind us. Uh, and now we have an election coming up. And I think there's strong risk uh, after this uh, pandemic that Trump will, will not get reelected. And once again, for all those out there, that's not a partisan statement. That's just uh, my read on the situation. Uh, and you look at our budget deficit and the fact that we've underinvested in other areas and, and frankly overinvested in defense, especially in the time of nuclear their weapons when you know do you really need tanks and and all these uh all these land um weapons uh to fight a potential invasion which is not going to happen right so i think there's gonna be a reassessment of budgeting uh, especially if we get into a uh, a democrat in the white house and now that being said, Lockheed Martin it does check the two boxes of the type of companies that I like right now. Good balance sheet. They have pretty minimal debt in relation to their their business. Only about $11 billion. It's a $100 billion market cap. And it's non-cyclical, right? Uh, the, if they have defense contracts, and the government's going to probably continue to pay those defense contracts, uh, at least in the, the, the near term, uh, in, unless they... You know, if they don't get renewed in the next uh, administration. But uh, so I like those two aspects. But longer term, I just think that the defense spending is going to go down unless we get some sort of hot war, right? Maybe this ends up in a war with China. Maybe that's that's possible, and that would be helpful. Um, so that's my biggest worry: is that defense increasing defense spending is likely to be behind us versus ahead of us, right? Because uh, Trump may not get reelected. So, uh, but I text those other two boxes. So I'm kind of eh on it. Uh, fine in the near term, but I'm not a big fan long term. Thanks for the call, John. Now, my main talking point today concerns this story. With 5 million additional unemployed claims expected, could layoffs become permanent? You know, companies are trimming costs and these... These could be longer-term layoffs as well, not just to not just furloughs, 
they could also turn into other sectors as well, and that's likely what you're going to see. It's now expected that the jobless claims report on Thursday is going to be about 5 million new unemployed. And that's after about a 6.6 .6 million number last week. And economists are now expecting the unemployment rate to be in the teens uh, once we have uh, numbers for the month of April. And you know, the last few cycles, the first wave of layoffs were really concentrated on leisure, right? Your your uh, uh, hotels and restaurants and entertainment. But this next wave is likely to be more concentrated on the retail side and maybe even manufacturing with auto plants shutting down and related industries. And you're starting to see mall owner like Simon Properties, they're laying off 30% of its, uh, or at least furloughing 30% of its workers. Many retailers like uh, Macy's is uh, furloughing 130,000 of its employees. Then you have companies like or the other ones, Gap and uh, L Brands, etc. They're furloughing a lot of employees as well. And this latest $2.2 trillion aid package approved by Congress broaden the group of people that can apply for claims to include part-time workers and those that are furloughed as well. So now that the shutdown has covered 90% of the country, frankly, I think it should be 100% of the country. If 90% is going to do it, why not 100 But employers are now forced to make these tough decisions. So as we get longer and longer into the shutdown, or deeper and deeper, shall we say, into the shutdown, more and more industries are going to be forced to make harder decisions. So, uh, you know, there were 6.6 .6 million claims, like I said, last week. And the, at the expected number last week was only 5 million. So it blew that away. And many states have been overwhelmed by the backlog because... A lot of the systems are antiquated. Some of those systems are on 60s technology. And they weren't designed for the level of claims that were being submitted. So while optimism around opening the economy back up is really driving the market, I think, right now, uh, you're going to continue to see these layoffs. And eventually they turn into real numbers, real consumer spending, or lack thereof. And even if we do reopen the economy, there's a high likelihood that we're going to have fits and starts. You're going to see uh, within six to eight weeks, probably, reacceleration in certain areas. Because guess what? It's still going to be out there to some degree. And as people get back to living, they'll be a little more cautious. It might not spread as fast, but it's still going to spread. And that is just the long and short of it, most likely. So uh, these, these layoffs are probably going to continue for some time and now starting to spread to other industries as well. Now let's keep things moving. And here comes another caller question from 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. My name is Steve. I'm calling in from Austin, Texas been listening for the last couple of months and just want to thank you for doing a terrific job of explaining market strategies in a unbiased and simple manner. My question today has to do with the stock Genpact G. I have 6,000 RSUs that vest next month and the stock has taken a dip over the last month or so by about 25% and want to get your thoughts on what I should do when the stocks do vest. Should I 
wait and allow for the stock to get back up to previous levels, or should I sell and reinvest elsewhere? Appreciate your thoughts. Well, first, you need to assess what percentage of your net worth is tied up in this company, GenPact. And this is a spinoff of GE. And they don't have a ton of debt, but a lot of their business uh, is correlated with GE. And if GE gets into financial trouble, there's a, a possibility that they can be dragged down with it. And I, I think that's a, str- a strong likelihood. Um, so I would definitely divest as much that would get down get you down to 10% of your overall net worth. And this goes for everybody out there. Uh, if you have company stock, you get awarded company stock, you can buy company stock at a discount. There are a lot of people out there that can do this. And uh, I had a call today with somebody who had closer to 30% of their net worth in uh, their company stock. And I said, you need to get that down to 10%. Why is that? Well, first off, diversification. You never know. You could be working for an Enron or a WorldCom or a company that uh, maybe it's BlackBerry that just got out innovated and uh, their management team doesn't pivot strong enough and they go out of business, right? Or they get severe, obviously BlackBerry didn't go out of business, but now their value is uh, probably 10%, 5% of, of what it was at their heyday, right? So, you need to diversify yourself away from from that name. And not only that, but your livelihood is tied to that particular company as well. So if they get into financial trouble, not only is your stock value going to decline dramatically, but you potentially could be laid off and your income could go away, at least in relation to that company. So you have a double whammy there. So you definitely need to reduce that as a portion of your total net worth to 10% or less. Uh, and especially in times like this, you know, GenPak is a company that uh, its its business is cyclical to some degree, right? If you go back and look at their, uh, their cash from operations, it fell in 2009 from about 211 million all the way down to about 100 million. Now it's grown over time and it's still a good business and they have low, you know, low debt, but it's still cyclical. So get it down to 10% of your net worth or less. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And during these times when social, social distancing guidelines require us or most of us to work at home and stay at home, you might have some additional discretionary time because you aren't commuting. In this case, I encourage you to explore our financial investment information that we have over at investtalk.com. You can search a lot of our uh, our library of past episodes. There's a lot of great uh, lessons that you can learn, and uh, you can explore our investment programs over there, take our risk questionnaire, our financial planning software. There's so much that you can explore over at investtalk.com. And when you're ready to speak with myself or Steve, you can send us a message or call our KPP financial offices in Irvine, California. We can set up a portfolio review assessment or conduct a personal assessment via phone. Uh, we also use our, our Jive meetings or Skype. There's a lot of ways that you can connect via phone or video as well. So we can set that up. And now I'm taking your questions live at 888 chart At a time of great interest in the market, InvestTalk listeners are invited to expand their stock and strategy guidance information by listening to a special new bonus podcast, the InvestTalk Rapid Fire Hour. 
By concentrating exclusively on InvestTalk's voice bank questions, Steve Peasley and Justin Klein were able to move the podcast at a brisk pace. So tell your friends. They can hear answers to 28 questions in just an hour's time. Go to investtalk.com to see the podcast listing for The March Bonus Show. And now the Anytime Listener lines are open. Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. We have about 10 minutes left in the show, so if you're going to call, you want to do it ASAP. Let's touch a little bit on what I discussed at the beginning of the show, kind of the, the, the fourth turning and how this is, this is a seminal moment, uh, I think, in, in human history. And it's going to change us for a long, long time. But how is it going to change the investment psyche uh, of, of a lot of people and investors in general? Now, the scars of this pandemic are likely to persist for a, a generation. It's been shown, studies have shown that as you grow up, especially in your younger years, how certain asset classes perform shapes your, your psyche for your entire life. And this is likely to shape the psyche of young, you know, I think young people as well as young adults, most notably. And, you know, a lot of people are saying, are optimistic at least, that we're going to have this V-shaped recovery. But this is something that came out of nowhere and really shocked people, right? You had this notion that the Fed was always going to step in and solve any economic problem through money printing, and that's what they're trying to do today. Uh, but you can't solve a pandemic with more money, right? You need uh, you need treatments, you need vaccines, and this means that there's permanently going to be in this back of the mind for many generations now of hey, what happens if there's another pandemic? What happens if there's other something else that's completely out of the blue that you weren't expecting that hits? And that means that they're likely going to hold less stock. Even corporations, uh, even CEOs are likely to be less apt to put money into uncertain, uncertain projects. And take less risk overall. Maybe taking less risk of setting up your own business. Because think about a restaurant. Shutting down that restaurant. A lot of people are going through that right now. A lot of entrepreneurs going through tough times. right? Because they're not being saved by the government. $1,200, a $10,000 loan for most businesses is not going to do the job. So what are the lasting effects? Well, threat of faster deglobalization. Deglobalization actually started before the financial crisis. If you look at the share of trade to global GDP, it peaked in 2008. So there's probably going to be more pressure on government spending, higher taxes, and maybe less debt being taken on by corporations and even in the public sector. And studies have shown this, that the impact of big bear markets linger in the minds of those that are most hit hard for many, many years to come. 
And you can see that just recently with the last financial crisis, how long it took for people to be excited about buying a home and getting into the housing market. And I think those are going to be doubly scarred again. And once again, younger people are more sensitive to this because older people, they've been through the good times and the bad. But you think of baby boomers, for example, today, they tend to be more apt to invest in stocks. Why? Because they grew up, their young adulthood was the 80s and and, and 90s, you know, into middle age, and they did very well in stocks. And so they have a very strong affinity towards stocks. But younger people, they've seen the tech bubble burst, the financial crisis, and now this, and seeing how quickly the economy, stocks can really decline. And this is going to have a, a, a lasting effect on the psychology of investors in general. So understand the lasting impact of this. And once again, it's good. It's good in the longer term, but we are having pain today. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here is to help you achieve financial freedom. But our work continues after this break. So get your questions in now at 888 chart On the next Invest Talk, with stress in the housing market, J.P. Morgan Chase says it will strengthen mortgage borrowing standards because the economic outlook has darkened. That story tomorrow. And now Justin Klein is here, ready with answers, but he's waiting for your questions. Call Justin, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve. This is Shivani. I just wanted to ask a question about investing in Bank of America and American Airlines uh, stocks right now. As we see, both of them are trading pretty low. And would it be okay to trade in either of this or even Southwest, LUV, Southwest Airlines? Please let me know. Thank you so much. I look forward to hearing it. Bye. Thank you. All right. Well, let, let me just go back to what I've been saying for over a month now, uh, probably more like two months. Invest in companies that have good balance sheets and that are non-cyclical, both Bank of America and United Airlines, these are companies that are cyclical, right? They have a lot of debt. Now, Bank of America, it's, it's a company that is needs to have debt. It's supposed to have debt. It's a bank, right? But it's cyclical. And so you need to avoid these type of names. Now, airline stocks are going to get a little bit of a boost here because they just got a $25 billion bailout from the government. Uh, and that, I think, will get uh, help them avoid bankruptcy in the near term. But once again, if this scars us and, and we have rolling shutdowns and uh, people are traveling a lot less, which is likely. Right now, traveling or air travel in the United States is down 95%. Now we open things back up, people will travel a little bit more, but it'll still be down probably 20, 30, 40% from pre-crisis levels for some time. And so you absolutely want to avoid these type of names. Remember, focus on good balance sheets and non-cyclical businesses, meaning businesses that will not be drastically affected in a recession. Go back and look in 2008. How much did their cash flow drop? How much did their earnings drop? How much did their uh, cash flow operations drop? Did they cut their dividend? What happened in the financial crisis? And likely, 
they're going to have a similar trajectory if their business is roughly the same, right? If they transform their business over time, yes, you can you can transform your business into becoming less cyclical over a decade or so. And there are probably a handful of companies that have done that since then. But uh, overall, you really need to understand how cyclical their business is. And those names that you, na- that you asked about are both very cyclical, so stay away. Now, to close, I want to touch on, I know a lot of you are maybe in hard times, you have friends that are in hard times, but we're going to touch on 10 sources of emergency cash that you might need. You might have got laid off, might have been furloughed. Where do you start first? Where do you take money from first? And we're going to go down the list. So the first is obviously your own emergency fund, maybe a savings account at your bank, a short-term bond fund, treasury bond fund maybe at your brokerage firm, wherever it is, something that's been very safe, uh, and you just go and tap that and you, you use that as a source of funds. Then next would be tapping low-risk assets in your taxable account. So pulling those the, the cash balances from your taxable accounts, maybe selling uh, low-risk securities, and getting that into cash. That's one way to do it as well. And then next is your Roth IRA contributions. Did you know that you can take out your contributions to your Roth IRA at any time without taxes or penalty? Just your contributions, not the gains on your Roth, but the contributions to it. So that's one way. I wouldn't say you want to rush to do that, but uh, it's a penalty-free way to get a little cash in the near term. Number four, Life insurance cash values. Hopefully you don't have any whole life insurance or variable life insurance because, frankly, uh, they're they're terrible products. And if you ever pitched one, you should probably run away from them fast. Uh, Insurance, life insurance should be about life insurance, term life, that's about it. But if you had bought one in the past and maybe you're still in the lockup period or whatever, you can tap one of those. Then next is 401k loan. Taking a loan from your 401k, it's definitely not advised, but you're paying that back with interest, but you're paying yourself interest, which is much better than paying someone else interest. So that's next. And then six is a home equity line of credit. Tapping your equity in your home with a line of credit, those are typically terribly structured products, so you definitely don't want to, you want to avoid that if you can, but uh, you know, at least you're not selling your asset. Then hardship withdrawals from your IRA, which with the new CARES Act would become easier. Then reverse mortgage, which you want to avoid, but if you really have to, do a reverse mortgage. Then a margin loan on your brokerage account. And then lastly, credit cards. So those are the sources of cash if you really, really need it in that order. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. I will host this program tomorrow and Steve will return on Friday. But please remember that you and your friends can access our free Invest Talk podcast downloads at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Be sure to listen, rate, and review. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. 
Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART.